Welcome to the New Upsala podcast. This is another week. Um, happy to see you guys again, or happy to listen to y'all again, or have y'all listen, whatever, I don't care. Um, this week we're talking about Midsummer, which is coming up here very shortly. Um, different parts of the world celebrated on different days, kind of, but it is here in the continental U.S., the 21st, right? Yeah, it shifts depending on, like, time zones and shit, right? And, like, hemispheres. Not, I mean, hemispheres, yes. Um, okay. it, it's the opposite. So, Midsummer and Yule, I basically swap between the two hemispheres. Yeah. Uh, but it roughly takes place 21st, 22nd uh, for North America. That's right. Anyway, we're talking about Midsummer, which is the June 21st. Yeah, June yeah. 21st this year. It is. Very excited. Super fun stuff. It is a massive celebration that is celebrated everywhere, not just us, but we seem to have the most fun with it, in my opinion, with what Midsummer is with all of our practices and what we do. But yeah. So, where do you guys want to dig into this one first? I meant to do some research on like the history of Midsummer, but uh, that got forgotten. There, there's a lot of history at Midsummer, but there's also not a lot of history. Most of the history is what's been taking place after Crusades or whatever else has been adapted or adopted and kind of transformed into what a lot of things are nowadays. Uh, it's ultimately, in my opinion, what I, the way I see it is celebrating the longest day of the year. Much of Yule is the shortest day and the longest night. The opposite with Midsummer. So I like to take advantage of that day, which is the longest day of the year, uh, early morning as soon as possible, as soon as the sun rises, El Sol, El Suna, do the whole thing and dedicate the day to them of just pure games. Like just do, being outside, entertaining yourselves, entertaining others, being a part of the longest day of the year and spending it having the most fun you can in that time. Um, and that's what I kind of see it as. It's like having the, it's basically like the heathen day off. It's like a vacation. Like you kick it. Um, now that's for the common heathens. For Gothar, it's very stressful. It's very time consuming. There's a lot of work to do, <laughs> but it can still be fun. <laughs> Mostly due to me. Whatever. Me, duh, not me, uh, alcohol. So. Yes. It's like a requirement for Gothar. Same. If you want to make it through it, that's you a, can't. That's something that we shouldn't say. Yeah, yeah, as, yeah. As leaders, because one of yeah, our students not does we not many, drink. Yeah, we have many heathens that'll be there that will not be drinking. So it happens every year. So it's not the case, but they still play all the fun games and almost have an advantage over those that are drinking in excess. Um, which again, we do try and reiterate during the beginning of it the middle and the end in just during the have a ball of not overreaching, not over drinking, nothing to an excess and all things having, you know, limits to it, all things in moderation. Um, it's often a jump rope of moderation and excess. But it works <laughs> out. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's a lot of games we play. Um, we can talk about all we want with history and whatever else. Um, that's all I do is celebrate it as much as I can, as loud as I can, as long as I can, because it's the only day I get to do it. Um, so I like to play a lot of different games on it. When we have gatherings of multiple heathens, especially, uh, maybe different kindreds, it's really fun to set up 
friendly competitions um have little prizes rewards or just have bragging rights afterwards it's always a fun time to do um we talk about a few games that we know of just we'll say in our culture but really like just what we like to play during long days or at midsummer if you played games before on those days uh, what that kind of takes place there's a lot of a lot of like heathen or whatever uh, pagan based games um that a lot of people don't attribute to that nowadays um, so we can kind of go around Rob if we'd like and see uh, what is one of your favorite games to play outdoors during midsummer, which can include cards and boards and all that stuff. It's just mainly taking place outdoors regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm terrible at the absolutely horrible, but mumbly bag. How long have ever a- played? Oof, it's a, you will. I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, explain to everybody what Mumbly Peg is. <laughs> it is extremely dangerous. I do not advise this. Please do not do stupid things on your own. Okay, anyway. I absolutely advise it. Do this all the time. Don't be dumb with it, though. Um, uh, so, Mumbly Peg is a game where anywhere from, I would say, at least three people to Upwards, I think I've had one game that played with like 12 people. It was absolute insanity. But it's essentially Twister with a knife on like grass or dirt is the best way to explain it. So what it is, y'all stand in a circle, take a knife. Normally the edges are dull, but the point is sharp enough that it'll stick into the ground. That's the goal. And you will choose whoever starts, however you guys, however anybody wants to do that. Take the knife. That person will say, okay, this person right foot here and throw the knife into the ground. If it sticks, that person has to put their right foot right there. If it doesn't stick, the person has to retrieve it. Now, once that knife sticks and say the, uh, how would you phrase that? Challenged? The challenge, there we go. The challenged will put their right foot where that spot is. And now it's their turn. They can pick up that knife, throw it into the dirt wherever, and say, this person put there, throw the knife, the stick's cool, whatever. But essentially what's turn in, what it turns into is this massive game of Twister while you're throwing a knife. And I'm absolutely horrible at it because I have zero flexibility at all. But I normally make up for it in pure, unadulterated spite um, with not falling over and that's how you get out so if your hand touches the ground your elbow touches the ground any part except for your feet touch the ground you're out and then the game slowly dwindles around as you go but yeah it's a lot of fun fairly dangerous but to reiterate what twister is with this is it's only feet not hands as well correct so twister has hands don't use hands just feet and i highly recommend wearing shoes not sandals not sandals or barefoot. Look, I've been there on all occasions of doing all these things. Wear shoes. So you're telling me I have to pack something other than Crocs? No, wear Crocs. I'll, you're slip, I'll, I'll, I will kill those Crocs. I don't even. I'll aim for them. I don't even care. Well, I don't think I'll play. <laughs> it does. It gets very fun. It gets very competitive, uh, mostly because you can tell who can't throw a knife into the ground. 
because a lot of times you can do it a lot of times and be really good at it but you know every now and then does it hit it bounces it ricochets and all this crap which is very dangerous when your legs are spread as far as they can go and someone tries to throw a knife between and it bounces first of all but it's also one that like it's fun because they throw it and if it doesn't stick that person has to get it now if that person cannot retrieve it without moving their feet or without uh, without touching the ground that's fine but any of their feet move anything touches the ground they're out and moves the next person and they're given the knife they don't have to retrieve it themselves mm. so it's a lot of fun it's very spiteful it's fun <laughs> at one point in time we played i think it was like eight people with two knives in the pit and mum and Coop being playing over the top of them so people getting hit with batons while they're throwing two different knives. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Midsummer's wild. Midsummer is wild. And for every successful throw, there's like 15 drinks. So it gets, it escalates quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no, that'd be mine. Uh, Rain, Rain. What's yours? Mine has what to be, be cornhole. Okay. I love cornhole. It's competitive, but then it's also friendly, and you could either play, you know, one on one or you know teams for or two on two. So it's a lot of fun. Um, makes me remember, you know, back when I was a kid, when me and my parents had a house out on the woods, we would play cornhole or and horseshoes to kill the time. So cornhole is right. my summer game okay that's awesome i love it cornhole is super fun uh, horseshoes you mentioned horseshoes too love it got a horseshoe pit in my cabin both sides got stadium lighting it's the it's so much fun <laughs> um but yeah so i've got i've got two that i'm really fond of i'm gonna go out and just say coob uh, for simplicity's sake uh coob is it's kind of hard to explain without showing it um, so it's a national sport. It's actually a global sport, but it's a national sport as well as national teams. It's actually a whole big deal. It's KUBB for Kube. And essentially, you line up pawns and a king in the middle of a field where you're equal distance apart, right? Much like horseshoes, but like you're going for the same horse or the same ring. And so, or the same ring or pole. And so the idea is you get five batons, or whatever you want to call them, but they're batons. Um, you have nine, I don't know if it's nine or ten, I can't remember off the top of my head. So you line up all your cubes, they're like, I don't know, less than a foot tall, maybe like eight to, eight to ten inches, I don't know. Um, and they're made of wood traditionally, well not traditionally, but they're made of wood a lot of times, but there's a lot of things they're made of. And they sit in a line, like straight across the line or in the middle of the field, and there's one in the middle of the key. It's very tall, has like a crown-esque model on top. And the idea is each team takes turns to throw the baton underhand, can't do any overhand, underhand, and tries to take as many cubes as possible. The cubes being the little square guys, or rectangle guys. Um, really long to explain, so I'm going to try and keep short. So if they get knocked over, the other team... Oh, he, he broke. We broke him. I'm it's been a while. I'm thinking now. So when you get knocked over, the other team goes and retrieves the cubes, okay, that have got knocked over or hit or whatever else that fell over. If it gets hit and doesn't fall over, doesn't matter. But if it gets hit and falls over, the other team grabs it. They go back to their lines. So we have lines, obviously like perimeter lines. 
They have to stand outside the lines at all times. You can never get into the field. And they have to toss the coop into the other side of the field in their zone. Now what happens from there is the other team then sets it up like directly where it sits. They don't get to move it around. It sits there. They just sit it upright. That's all they do. Now when the other team goes, they have to kill the or hit the field coops, like all the coops that they threw over already, before they can get the ones on the line. So the idea is to get as many coops as you can down to make them have to go for the other ones before they can go for that line. Uh, now I've only seen it a few times. My brother did it once. He hit every coop down and the king in one round, and it was possibly cool. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of taxes to it. It's a very friendly game. There's actually the national rules and the global rules and all that crap actually state that you can't like talk smack which we ignore but like it's like against the rules like disrespect be manipulative like yell like all this it's a very respectful game but like at the same time like you just scream at each other the whole time like batons are flying at each other's shins like you're a long ways away but those things go so it's a very kind of complicated game i'll have to put up some sort of link or something on here that we can get for coob we'll post pictures but it's very fun i yeah. quite enjoy it no, the shit talking coob is vital to the game. So I don't I want any other. No, screw the rules. We have our own rules. We're heathens. That's what we do. Um, yeah, no, the shit talk is mandatory. It has to happen, or you will lose. I guarantee it. Um, just don't make yourself look like an idiot. You shit talk, and then don't hit anything, because then you just look dumb. And yeah, <laughs> yes. It's a lot of fun. And then, um, yeah, there's a lot of different rules in, in it. If, if they don't hit the coup, any field coups down, now that team, when it's their turn, can step up to the furthest field coup on their team and still hit that same line. It's a whole thing. It's very long and drawn out. I played with my brother uh, initially the first time, and it could be a game that lasts five minutes or six hours. Like, it is grueling if you are neither of you are dexterity or have any dexterity whatsoever. If you are not accurate, you don't have to be like a freaking sniper, but if you're not really accurate in your throws, you'll be there all day. It's great. I love it. <laughs> That's kind of mine. I like that one. Good stuff. All good games. I think, um, you know, we've said this in passing, but heathens aren't the only one that practice midsummer. Um, Many pagans, like Wiccans and all that, they actively participate midsummer, but um even then uh I mean usually Father's Day's around that time and people go out, they go camping for Father's Day. I mean I always went camping on Father's Day. So in a sense we're inadvertently celebrating midsummer. So you got that and that's the only thing that like, comes to mind when it comes to other individuals, other religions practicing Midsummer. There are a lot. It's celebrated in almost every country. We were kind of talking about this before you hopped on, but um, even in Christianity, it was dubbed as uh, Saint Paul. Saint Paul? No. Something the Baptist. Uh, John the John Saint John the Baptist, or something like that. Um, it was supposed to have been said that he was born six months before, in, in the, the Christian dialect that I've read at least, six months before Jesus, assuming and going with the idea that Jesus was born on December 25th. Um, it was said that St. John the Baptist, or whatever his name was, um, 
prepped the world for six months for Jesus's targeting or birth or whatever else. And so they do still use it. They, a lot of, uh, mostly overseas, but a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's Catholics or what necessary sect of Christianity does it, per se. Um, but it is celebrated even in Christian lores and things like that. That was like 1770. It became like a global holiday of sorts. So even like the Ukraine, uh, Russia, Portugal, we, they all have different versions of celebrating this uh, midsummer. Mm-hmm. Now, as we talked to before, the hemispheres celebrate it on basically opposite times. So essentially their Yule will be taking place during our midsummer and vice versa. So it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, and even during that, as Gothar, depending on the hemisphere you're in, does determine how you go about doing your practices for midsummer or for most bloats to begin in, in, oh, yeah. in general. I mean, it's just you're either six months ahead or six months behind, depending how you look at it. I mean, we're getting ready for summer, and Australia's about to celebrate Yule. Yeah, that's just it. I mean, and and even in any in any area, whatever else, you need to know your surroundings, you know your bearings, because at least the way I was taught and trained when I was younger um, is when you hallow grounds or whatever else, you always uh, where we are, you always do the north first, kind of. Uh, set the grounds aside or hallow the grounds in the southern hemisphere you do south first right so it's the polarity on which one's pulling stronger in each direction um so a lot of times that's that's the case and so there's a lot of weird little intricate details so knowing where you are what kind of practitions take place in those areas is a big uh kind of pass or fail to a lot of people that know better um i had to learn that through trial and error, not through I read a book and figured it out. <laughs> I my first two words out of my mouth were immediately interrupted by a much wiser gray bearded man and said, "You've already messed up." And I'm like, "Well, that was great." <laughs> so, like first two words, and so he taught me. It was great, but very different practices depending on where you are in the world, um, even directional. So it's kind of crazy. But Mitzar is awesome. Oh, I was just going to try to fill the void of silence. Yeah, go for it, because I was just about to ramble. Oh, I just, you know, mine is, you don't, I can't, I've never been told or taught, I mean, other than a white wolf saying that, uh, you know, you, when you're hollowing a ground, you do it in the, the north side if you're on the northern hemisphere or south if you're on the southern hemisphere i've always done mine in the east and ending in the north and then at the end of the ceremony i start with the north and end with the east to signify a whole day so that's how i've done my halloween and i think that's the big thing to hammer i mean you could do either way but in the end as long as you're consistent and there's uh, a meaning behind it I don't see a negative reason on, I mean, you're in the end, you're hollowing the ground. You're doing the ceremony. You might be doing it wrong in some people's eyes, but I feel if you have justification and reasoning to back up your theory of why you're doing this, then I mean, there's no one way to heathen. So 
That's all. And I agree. I didn't mean to sound like a blanket statement. The way I was taught was that um, I also believe that if you're, I mean, you know, everything's based off where you're at, which could be anything. So to me to say, you know, on the eastern region, the eastern areas, you'd go eastern, western, but wherever you are, like China's like, yeah, U.S. is either east or west. But to me, I'm like, oh, that's the east. Like, so it's very, very disciplined by the individual for sure. So. Um, Here's what I would say on that. Trust your gut. If you get the inkling feeling or this little nudge to start in a different place than you normally would, go for it. The worst thing that happens is you mess it up and you learn from it. Like if the, so I normally start in my standard thing. That's the way that I learn to do stuff. I don't However, think uh, I don't think the direction came across the mic. Where do you start with? I start with the north. Um, so that's just my standard thing. But when I was on the other side of the planet, I started in a different direction because that's the way that I felt like I needed to. And I don't even know that it was actually one of the four cardinal directions. I just started in a point and grew this. Uh, yeah, I just went around. Like, you know what? Southwest-ish. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> Pretty much. Now, obviously, there's there's not do's and don'ts, but there's suggestions that I like to follow that I normally do. But in reality, if you're like, I got to do this, and I got to do it now, and I don't know which direction is which, full send. You'll figure it out. There's not a right or wrong to that. Um, there's just standard practices that a lot of people use and it changes depending on the person wait hold on let me get my compass out so i can uh go and start directly at zero and not one because then you know that would that would mess up the whole thing you joke about shit like that but i (laughs) people do it yeah yeah seen it happen wild a big reason why cardinal directions are used um is something that I used to ask potential go things like that of like in Halloween's and bloats, things like that. If they did one, if they did howl the rounds, like I would say, okay, North, South, East, West. And they're like, all right. And I'm like, so why do we do that? And they're like, well, I don't know. Cause you told me to I'm like, Oh my stars. And so it's initially it's to pay tribute to the dwarves that are holding up the skull. Right. It's to basically thank them, howl the grounds, let them know that they don't need to cover and protect the grounds that you're on. And then at the end of it, you have to be able to dismiss it as well. But initially, or the way I was brought up on it is you do, you can start anywhere. You can south, west, east, who gives a shit. Um, But you're hitting the four cardinal directions for the dwarves that have chosen and been holding the sky for us. So it's a way of like giving them the day off saying, I've got it from here, I'll protect, I'll try, I'll do this, and basically relocating that area outside of the realm of Midgard and kind of creating its own space. Um, That way you can have more exposure to the gods and goddesses, which can go either direction, depending on how you live your life. Um, But it's also another time to bring Suna, Sol, all of them into the mix of it, and having a less encumbered space um, by the, the dwarves. So that's why I was always told to do the cardinal directions, right? Because of the basically the gratitude 
and they're reaching out saying, thank you, let me take it from here for the day. You know what's funny? Even before I started with you guys, I did uh, a Halloween, um, just, I want to say I did like a simple bloat on my house, and I instinctively did it the four cardinal directions. Because like, alright, I know the dwarves, how they hold up the sky, then there's also like land whites and I want to pay respect to them. So I'm going to pay respect to both of them by saying thank you. And, you know, I got it from here. You don't need to watch over it. You can enjoy your time uh, being here celebrating while I do all the heavy lifting. That's how I see it. Yeah. And it, again, that was your instinct picking up on Carl the Director, just doing that. Like, it's not a requirement, but it's somehow like, instinctive reaction to do these things mm-hmm. i was gonna say that's wild it's like i said trust your instincts like <laughs> a minute and a half ago yeah no it's it's a thing and it really doesn't matter but we do that stuff midsummer almost every blow there's certain exceptions to that like if it's already a hollowed space and it's been maintained as such um like why we'll talk about this cabin all the time that cabin has already been hallowed and set aside for these practices. Now we'll go up there and we'll reaffirm it or reinforce that hallowing, if you will, every time we're up there. But it's already been done. So in certain circumstances, you won't see, or if you're doing it, you can set that space aside for that exact purpose. And you don't have to do it every time. I encourage you to do it every time, regardless of but yeah, no, there's certain times where that's not a thing. There's certain times where it definitely is. Like if I'm on a public campground somewhere and I've never been there before, absolutely, I'm doing it. But if it's a place that I've been to several times or my own home, for instance, yeah, I'm good. I got that part. I mean, I see I it as there. like you're just, you know, you're... um empowering it more you're giving more of your life energy to be like all right yeah i haven't been here for a little bit but you know this is still something that needs to be done it's like the same thing like with every other job you know you go to work for some days and then you go on vacation for two weeks you're like shit i don't know how to do anything anymore so you're essentially telling the bind runes the cardinal directions like all right it's time to get back to work you're, you're no more vacation. That's how I see yeah. it. And it's just, I mean, you brought up a point of doing that, the hollowing, the reinforcing of the barrier and everything. It, had, it doesn't have to be done every single time. But when you're in a new place, absolutely, um, because it isn't a sacred, sacred space. But if you're renewing it, I see it as you do it, but not as intense. You're just, it's like hitting the wake-up call. It is, 100%. And you all have phrased it expertly on what it is, what it takes place, when you leave, when you come back, things like that. I was going to interject, and then I kind of thought my own words through, and so I didn't talk. Um, but basically, I was like, okay, in my opinion, like, realistically, just thinking logically, you should rehallow a ground anytime you dismiss it essentially right so you don't hallow grounds and just run away and just leave it there that's fucked up that's like saying hey i got it from here dwarves let's remove this section from the realm and then leaving it in ganuga gap 
assuming it'll be just fine. That is a terrible plan. You should always bring it back. You should always close. If you make a ring, you should close the ring, reopen, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I was going to say, yeah, anytime you like close it, you should reaffirm, you should redo it. But realistically, as I say with my cabin, I don't shut that shit down, essentially. Um, but every time I go up there, I do re... I'll just say re-blood it, because that's kind of the phrase that gets passed around with it. Uh, I reactivate, re-blood, re-whatever it. Now, there's another thing that has to do with this, with every bloat I do, um, and I try and enforce it as much as possible, not always possible to do, but as sternly as possible, is making sure, A, not just one, but any, Gothor and Gothar, have to escort anybody on or out of that circle, out of that realm, out of that area that we've hallowed, um, people don't just go willy-nilly back and forth. Um, now, they can leave, come back as many times as they want to do. I don't care. That's not a thing. You're not trapped there. Um, but to have a spiritual guide or leader walk you through there and then walk people back in. Anytime anybody shows up to my cabin, they stop at the bottom of the drive on the lane, go down there, meet them. We walk them up. We take them into ourselves um, to basically act as the doorman for what we're doing. If we just let it open to anything what's the point of Halloween, right? And there's been times where people are not allowed on my property, like, just straight up. I'm like, hey, you know, that's not happening, whatever else. Or during the time, they get rambunctious to the point where I don't want them around families, friends, things like that, and we have to remove them from there. But we escort in and out every single time. Groceries, coffee runs, doesn't matter. Uh, because if both are available, they walk them in, they walk them out. Now, it's funny, the thing about Uber has seen it, is sometimes, not always, we don't do this, and I, we've literally seen people trip and fall on their face on the flat, nothing round, right where we hallowed, and it is hilarious. There was nothing, it, it's gonna sound super sadistic, but there was nothing that brought me more happiness at one point in time when a screaming child wouldn't stop screaming, ran out, flap, hit the ground. And I was like, that was worth hallowing because <laughs> we didn't escort him out. Kid just ran out. And just like, it looked like he tripped on a freaking trip wire. He just went, boom. And I'm like, ha. Huh. I was going to say, I've seen it so far as I've seen a car stall trying to pull in. Like, totally running, automatic transmission, not like, oh, they just screwed up the gear. No, it was a running vehicle that just hit the barrier and it just went, boom. <laughs> and just stops, and I was like, I "Oh, I I don't remember if you were there for one of the midsummers where an individual left in their vehicle and ended up in the trees, like literally driving through a tree and destroyed almost his entire vehicle. And it was not a, it was just going down a driveway, like no big deal. But he like ran to his car, his buddy went and jumped in, they went to do like a beer run or some shit. And I was like, "Hold on, we'll get you out of there." They said, "Nope, they gunned it." right through a bunch of trees at my cabin. I'm like, yep. So that makes sense to me. <laughs> like, it's like it blinded them, and they hit that barrier, and then they're like, ah, oh, crap, we're in a forest. Like, it was great. No, it, it can get a little weird. I'm not going to lie. It gets kind of crazy the way that that works. Because, um, yeah, I've seen kids fall. I've seen adults just all of a sudden, like, get woozy and, like, feel sick to their stomach when they step outside of it without being guided or without somebody there with them. It's crazy, but I've seen it happen. I've witnessed this happen. It's happened to me. I've done this. Not knowing the rules when I was a baby heathen. 
I did that. I walked out of a circle, not fucking knowing the rules of things, and I went, oh, shit. Have you ever... It's like standing up when you've been drinking, like when you're just drinking on your couch or something like that. A really good example, actually. And you stand up, and it's not like uh, the fucking anemia or whatever, the iron deficiency. It's like all of a sudden you're drunk as shit, and you just can't see straight. That's what it felt like. I walked out of the circle, and I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I like backed up a few steps, and it went away, and I was like... When you go, I could use another beer and stuff, but you stand up, you go, I do not need another beer. And you sit back down slowly. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, so it's happened to me. So I will vouch for that 100% of the time. It's wild. I don't... I understand it, but I don't understand it, if that makes sense. It's one of those laws of nature things, or magic, if you will, that it just happens, and there's not really a good explanation for it. I mean, it's essentially realm travel. Yeah. If, if you boil it down, it's realm travel. Because you're leaving, um, essentially leaving Midgard and going to, uh, it's hard to say, like, where it would be. Like, in essence, it would be Gap, like an island in Gap. That's how I could see it, like, uh, logically. Um, but... When I was in Korea, I was part of a couple circles that we used the east as the bridge. And um, I was like, okay, how can I do this, you know, as a heathen? And I, you know, I did my best to be like, hey, people want to be able to leave at will. Hey, Heimdall, can you, uh, you know, watch over and, you know help us out during that and you know it's not practical to see it that way it's not the best way but trying to appease different paths while still trying to practice as a heathen and when i say different paths i mean like other pagans wiccans druids celtics and all that because they don't necessarily uh believe slash worship they acknowledge that there is other gods but they might not worship i mean same with us but in the end they don't see it as that's the bifrost yeah and to that point um this is where you see a lot of different but very similar beliefs doing like smudgings things like that um essentially it's to cleanse the area in whatever manner you see fit it could be crystals could be smudging could be all sorts of stuff could be salt perimeters like the whole night you can do whatever it takes um, now this doesn't happen every time. If you don't hollow the grounds, obviously you're not, you know, doing all these crazy things. Um, something else you kind of brought up was saying Heimdall uh, and other gods and goddesses that we recognize to help us on our journey during these times. Now, the, the very common thing to do is to use Mjolnir or an effigy of Thor's hammer to hallow the ground. Now, this is a little bit different in multiple cases, right? So to hallow the grounds, you're essentially using Thor's hammer to say, Thor, protect us as the guardian of Midgard. We want this to be a safe space to keep out the Jotuns, to keep out the evil, the whatever, the, the negative mindset to protect us. I think uh, unwanted some... would be more applicable. Unwanted. Unwanted or uninvited guests. Yeah. Um, now, this isn't always the case because 
he is the protector of Midgard. The way I enact or react and treat Midsummer itself is I'm not there to celebrate on Earth. I'm so I'm there to celebrate with Suna and Sol, right? So I use basically the Mjolnir aspect or the Thor's hallowing, not as a protection inward, but basically stakes like a tent, right? So it doesn't fly off in the Gnugga That's the anchor base. Now, I'm not asking Thor to hallow and watch these grounds, because essentially if I say, hey, we're leaving Midgard, I can't ask Thor to guard that. He is guarding Midgard. So now I have to be the one to enact and enable myself to be aware of who is who, what, when, where, how, why with anything, right? So I'm trying to take on myself to what the dwarves do, what Thor does, and obviously not to that scale, but in the simplest terms of saying, I am now in charge of these people, of these folk. Um, now that could be me reaching out to Heimdall, who sees every realm and everything. It could be Loki for some people that can access the world tree through different avenues. It could be the dwarves themselves that they keep in their in their thoughts or whatever else. So the fact that you said Heimdall and said like Thor, I really like because a lot of people will pile the grounds with Thor's hammer and then basically treat it like it's not Midgard, but in doing so kind of sets yourself up for failure because you're like, Thor, Thor, watch this, and then you ghost it, essentially. So if we do the Hallowings, if we use a Mjolnir, I use those as tie-downs so that when I bring that circle back, I use those anchor points of Mjolnir to re-solidify us and re-ensure that Thor is essentially coming back to us and we are being welcomed back to Midgard. Yeah, I, I see it like that as well. My, um, mine's more along the lines like I use Thor's hammer and and then I use it through the shape of Thor's hammer. So that in in the essence, uh, the upside down cross, but it's actually Thor's hammer, um, to be the signif and like the embodiment and like the empowering that lasts longer after the the um hammer's gone. Like after I go back to go to the next cardinal point, the energy is staying there. Um, I see it more along the lines of, hey, Thor, you're protecting Midgard. I'm not a god, but I'm going to do my best to protect my people, just like you protect all of Midgard. And that's how I see it. It's yeah, it's like, hey, Thor. yeah, it's like, hey, Thor, look at me. I'm going to do my best to be like you. And that's how I see hollowing in essence. Um, but when you said why wolf has, when you said that, um, in being the dwarves being Thor and it's not being the same, uh, like Avenue or not Avenue, um, scale. I see it as you are being that you are the scale, because if you think about it, you're, you know, you're a normal human with, uh, a better relationship and you know to go to the gods and you know all that so you have some power when it comes to that but you know you got four dwarves holding up a skull for how many years and it hasn't cracked it hasn't fell down um then you got thor which you know he travels everywhere but you know he go stays around midgard the most and you know i don't see no yodens around so in my head you as a human protecting a small little space what like not even a mile uh in circumference and all that you are in the same scale as the dwarves and thor 
I suppose almost square footage wise, yes. <laughs> like, okay, compared to his, but the potency because the weakness involved. Yeah, it was more along the lines. He, he has, all right, quote unquote, divine power um, versus, you know, your limited human power. That's what right, I'm saying. We, we protect our own and our kin physically as much as possible, letting people on, kicking people off, and that's kind of what he does with everything. And to your point, not seeing a Jotun in a while, I mean, for you, you can just go look in a mirror. Uh, funny thing is, if, you know, back in those days, I would have been considered a Jotun, because the average was 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. Yeah, I would have been considered tall, for the record, 5'6". Oh, I would have been fucking massive. Because I'm like 5'7", 5'8"-ish, depending on the bay and the shoes I'm wearing, so... Rary, when you had a red beard and you're huge, you would have been an <laughs> effigy of both. Like, yep. like yep. when you hit that Grand North, people were like, Oh, shit, he's here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Oh, funny thing is... So, on a little side topic, I, I was walking outside work, and I saw this... Futhark drawn up on the whiteboard and there's one guy that I know he's a, I don't know what he is but he believes in the Norse gods he has a Mjolnir and everything don't know what he classifies as so I was like reading it I'm like okay it's not Elder Futhark it's not younger Futhark what other one is it and I just went up and asked him he's like yeah it's Anglo-Saxon Futhark I was intrigued that was my day. Just wait till you see short twig. That makes me want to jump in front of traffic. Well, my <laughs> thing was like, all right, I see Fehu and Lagus with wings. Oh boy, please, I don't want to see an Othalo with wings. Yeah, like a little Trogdor Lagus. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I don't want to have to talk to the boss and be like, hey, so there's this evidence that this guy's a, he thinks whites are superior. Um... I didn't want to have that conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to have that conversation, so. Yeah. It's always good to uh, ask before act. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been Another side topic, if you guys don't mind, because as we were talking, I kind of thought about this. So, Norse paganism, when we hollow a circle, it's normally fairly small. But the druidic people, they will take Way back when, in history, they would take entire forests. Um, We have evidence of that with, like, Sherwood Forest and the Robin Hood legends. We have stuff like that where it was considered a haunted forest of some kind, but in reality, when you dig through their lore and stuff like that, it was just that a druid ran the forest. We see stuff like that in Lord of the Rings with Radagast, the green wizard, if you will, or brown wizard, or whatever. I want to say he's green. Whatever. Um, <laughs> Radagast, whatever. Radataster, cool. Um, so I'm curious if you could, and I want your guys' opinions on say someone owned a large piece of property, like super large piece of property, and a lot of it's wooded, and you wanted to give the land whites a sacred space of their own. 
they can do whatever they want, however they want. Obviously, they will anyways. But you are going to set it aside for them. Do you think it would be a fair or... It's not even ethical, but would it be a decent idea to set those wooded areas aside for them and set up those markers on the four cardinal directions or however you want to do it for the land white or for something else or something like that. I'm, I'm curious as your guys' opinions because it was just a thought that flashed through my head. And if there's any druids out there that listen to our shit, please reach out to me because I would love to talk to you all about this kind of stuff. I'm genuinely curious. Um, I just don't know much about your stuff. I know druid circles are super tight-knit, and they don't like to talk to other people, but I would be very curious as to have these conversations with somebody from a different culture and ideology. So... But yeah, what are your guys' opinions on that? In essence, I wouldn't think Halloween would be the best, because that's you taking away their property. And in the Landwise perspective, they already have set boundaries of what they justify as their property, their prowers. Um, I think having an area untouched would satisfy, like, um, be like, you know, if you got a creek with some woods and you're like, all right, this, um, I don't know what, whatever square footage, whatever it is, be like, all right, we don't go there. And people will be like, why? And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's uh, to give them a safe space away from humans. Because, you know, humans fucking horrible creatures. So sometimes fight people just want to fight the urge to go through the fairy gate. Fight the urge. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm going through the fairy gate every fucking time. And quiet, <laughs> you know, talking about humans like we're lesser than you. I don't hear. Hi, human. I'm just a big no, human. We're not lesser, we're just not as knowledgeable, which means we're not as prepared. So would that make me a demigod? No, you're just a yo. Okay. Well, anyways. That's <laughs> so, how I see it. I went at hollow, because it's, you know, you're taking the land away, um, and they already have set boundaries. I would go along the lines of, don't go in the area, leave offerings. Be, have that be their safe space from any unwanted guests because they can okay. naturally take out whoever they is or whoever's unwanted. I mean, we all know of like, um, like haunted houses and everything, uh, nasty spirits. I mean, from other cultures and everything, it's just unhappy land whites in essence. So I really enjoy this because I stepped away for just a moment, but I was going to step away. I heard Sigma about to say something. It triggered all these like array of thoughts in my mind of um, exactly that. And like, I, I wasn't even in the room and I was like, okay, hollowing. I was going to bring this up as a, as a topic of conversation with three of us. I'll still ask it after the fact, but I was thinking hollowing. Okay. We're not, are we keeping things out? Are we keeping things in? Are we caging, dismissing what this looks like? And so I was thinking about it while I was in the room, unable to hear the audio, so it makes me kind of happy that I came back to it, was like, okay, like with land whites, right? Like, they're basically the groundskeeper at all times. Now, is that someone that you, in turn, are asking to use the property for? Are you thanking them? Are you removing them, like dismissing them for the day? Like, what does this look like? 
and how do you do it? And I was going to say some of the best practices I've used is exactly what Rain Raven said in offerings, daily and every meal. Um, now, it could be to the gods, but it should be to the landmites as well. Um, now, if you're not familiar, a lot of times through landmites, let's get a little bit deeper. We're not going to get into it, the whole thing. Um, the reason milk and cookies are left out for quote-unquote Santa Claus is because scraps and leftovers are made or designed or used used as um, uh, sacrifices or offerings for land or housewives. Right, so when it was believed that Odin was the one that traveled during the wild hunt and became this Santa Claus figure that would visit homes and not kill babies, like I was like, oh, what a great gift! We should give him cookies. And really, we were gifting the land and housewives for their protection. Right, like we can howl all we want, but if we go on a property and start doing this shit, something may already be there, being like, no, nah, I've just been waiting for you to close us off. Let's do a cage fight. So it's very important to me to not to not overstep, not say, this is my grounds now, this is this. So the question I was going to ask to all of us is, uh, are, if, if you've done it before, what are the best practices you use, one for hallowing and two for maintaining the grounds if it's for an extended period of time? And it kind of already gave it away with a lot of what we already talked about, but I really love that you brought up land rights, and Rain Raven brought up offerings. Like, those are the two main components. Now, there's very specific things you can do, don't have to do, completely on you. But I am curious if uh, any of us have set up these offerings or setting up a, a hallowing, how do you, one, um, maintain it for a long period of time? Or two, do you involve the housewife, the landwife, which god, which goddesses? Like, what is your, what's your cutoff? Like, who are, who are you bouncing in this realm, if that makes sense? Okay. So, quick story time leading into that. Jokingly, earlier you said, don't go through the fairy doors. I call bullshit, go through the fairy doors. Um, do your own thing, be smart, don't be dumb, all that stuff. But I, when I go on hikes, I carry a bottle of meat with me or something like that, an offering of some kind. And I normally leave it in an area where something could use it. I was on a hike about two, maybe three years ago now. And I saw this massive fairy door. I mean, it was huge, like two trees bent over each other. Um, and I was like, okay, that looks sketchy as hell, but I'm dumb and I'm going to walk through it. Do what you want with that information. Um, but when I walked through it, I walked to the first tree that I found, first big tree, and it was like straight through the fairy door. Super cool. And I took my offering that I had made and brought with me, and it was mead. So I took it in this little biodegradable cup, because I'm not an asshole, don't litter. Um, and I set it at the base of this tree, and I poured the mead in. And then I walked back out, and I just said, hey, this is an offering to the land spirits of this area. I understand that I'm intruding in your space, but I love that the beauty that you've created, blah, 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 blah. Super cool. Very rewarding experience for me. I felt at peace. I wasn't necessarily threatened by any means, and I walked back out. Cool. About a year after that, I went on another hike up a different trail. I got lost as shit. I failed my land nav course hardcore. I was fucking gone, dude. I was in the dark. I had no idea where I was. Um, and I was like, okay. I'm sitting there. I was like, I know these mountains. No, I'm in the same general area that I've been before. And I just kind of sat down and I was like, all right, I need help. 
I've made offerings here before, and I'm asking you to guide me out. And all of a sudden, I was like looking around, and I went, go that way. So I took off in that direction, started walking. As I was walking, I ended up at that exact same tree with the cup that was like biodegrading, and there were ants eating it and shit like that, whatever. It's cool. But I ended up at that same tree and went, holy shit. I needed help. I made an offering a year ago. And I ended up the same tree. How and why? So when you go to those places, when you're out in nature, when you're out doing make those offerings. Um, specifically the Gothi, part of the Gothi Oath, bearing secrets right now, is to keep frith with the spirits of the land and the spirits of the and keep frith with the people, which is another topic we can get into. But I took, that to, I took that part of that oath very, very much so to heart, as with the rest of the oath, obviously. But that part hit me a little different. So I decided I was going to make, I was going to go through the fairy door. I wasn't going to be afraid, but I was going to be respectful of everyone. So, tread carefully in unknown spaces and understand that you might get clapped for it. It's possible. But, if you go in there with the intent of making peace, of keeping frith, of enjoying a space that has been set aside for them, of making offerings, of giving gifts and receiving them in return, by all means. But then, I, as White Wolf was talking a minute ago, I remembered, once upon a time, a while back, I had an experience where Another Gothi, not an Oathsworn Gothi, but someone who was acting as a Gothi and performing a ritual. They asked me if they could do it. I said, sure, don't care, cool, do your thing. So they were doing it. And they set aside the space. But I kept getting this feeling like I was literally in a cage match. Uh, whatever you want to call it, from spiritual pressure to emotional to your gut feeling to your sixth sense, whatever it is. I felt like I was having a battle. And that's when I walked up to him and I wasn't really paying attention to what he was doing when he set aside the space. He just kind of said, this is mine. And I'm, for now, this is mine. Everything else gets As soon as I understood that, I was like, you're going to go break the circle right the fuck now because I'm not fighting this thing. Whatever it is, whatever spirit this is, whatever essence, whatever energy, I'm not going to fight it for. Because it's coming at me as an Osworn Gothi. I ain't doing it. So he went and broke that circle, and immediately that spirit disappeared. So White Wolf makes a very solid point in if you don't make those accommodations, if you don't see the things that are already there, if you're not accepting of the things that already live there, whether it's the squirrel up in the tree, or the ants under the ground, or the trees themselves, you have to make those accommodations. You have to, or else it could go bad for you. But yeah, little side topic, sorry. Cool. Um, a little bit of a turnabout. Um, so you better, but I know you just went off so we can start with Brain Raven if you want. Um, in your experience, what you've done, for those that are listening that want to do this, want to try this, what are your best practices for hollowing the grounds? And then after we do this kind of round robin, we're going to do best practice for maintaining. So hollowing, 
what has been in your experience, whether it's ad lib in an airport or full sanction in a forest, what's been like your most effective, whether or not be like physically but spiritually effective methods to hallowing a ground? So I just want to start off with, I always start off with a offering to land whites because it's their property I'm asking and essentially giving a gift for them allowing me to be there to use it as a sacred space. Okay. Then into hallowing a space. Most of the time it's just to, I carry my hammer Thor that I have on me and I go around to each cardinal directions. I say the name of the dwarf. I say, I appreciate your time and dedication, your selflessness to hold up my sky. Let me take some weight off your shoulders. I will pay homage to you after so I can full. I'm going to pay homage to you after the event because then I'm going to fully know in the full extent of what you go through day in and day out. I mean, if it's only 15 minutes to two days or whatever, I will know what the, the dwarves they go through. So that's, I go to all four corner directions. I have my hammer and I, uh, I don't, I hate saying this, but bless it with uh Thor's protection and yeah it's not it's not super intrinsic but it's not super complex and i don't think it has to be um but to people coming in to the circle i sage them because i unwanted and negative uh individuals i want them out so that's for anyone that's not coming in it's more along the lines of anyone that wishes to do harm and not enjoy the community that's here you're not welcome so i like that that's interesting so i mean you could essentially and in any capacity you could do this setting up like a basically a sanitation station yeah through smudging or burning or whatever else to say okay welcome in stand over there like tsa scanning you yeah but like trying to get rid of that that's interesting i like that actually yeah it's it's something i picked up when you know i was in korea and it was mainly a wiccan circle but you know i enjoy it and it helps my practice so yoink i'm gonna steal it it's, it sounds very wicked, but I meditate like a Buddhist, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you mentioned giving uh, or thanking the land whites. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned sacrifices or meals, whatever else. What, do you just, I mean, outright just verbally thanking is enough, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like If you're acknowledging, if you're helping, if you're trying, again, if the premise, if your thoughts and intentions are there, I think that is enough. You can always go higher, you can always go more grand, but realistically, when it comes down to it, acknowledgement is just as powerful as gifting. So when you do that, are you are you giving something? Are you are you simply stating facts? Like, what, what does that look like with land rights? 
Uh, depends on the situation, depending on the the severity of the bloat, how ritually taxing it's going to take on the land. That's how I uh, judge the offering I give. Now, if it's a simple, you know, full moon, you know, it's not that it's not that big of a deal. It's it ain't uh, equinox, but it's just a normal. Hey, I made it a whole nother month, and I've survived a whole moon. Um say thank you and i'm still here i'll see you next month i'll see you tomorrow i'll pay homage or i'll thank you again in a month or you know whenever it's needed but like i said it's on the the what i'm going to be doing judges what i'm going to offer makes sense you're gauging the sacrifice or yeah the, i mean it's like to the act like you for midsummer I, I want to say it's like, you know, you would hollow it for two days if you're going to stay there for two days. That's a long ass time versus 15 minutes. So that offering, I mean, in the same, it's gift for a gift. So if you're giving me a piece of your land, your property, your powers, prowess um, for two whole days, I'm going to give you a bomb ass gift. Yeah, and, and for the record, that is basically what Midsummer comes down to. If it's one location base or whatever else, I've done it at on my property for five days ish straight of one hallowing and a continuation of that for five days. I'll tell you I have never slept more than after that last day. And not even because I drank, not even because of all that stuff. I was it just exhausted. Which you did. Which, holy crap, like, Thor does this all the time? Okay, I get it. Right. Now, don't get me wrong, you do drink and all that. But <laughs> it's the, the spiritual, emotional exhaustion that you it's, feel it's after. It's effort put forward, right? Uh, it's like, okay, and this is not a good thing. Don't quote me on this, even though it sounds like a quote, I really want to say it out loud because it came to my mind. It's like saying a farmer with soft hands and no calluses is not a great farmer. It's saying a guilty after midsummer that isn't tired maybe didn't do his part. Like, <laughs> but I say that as growing up on a farm and I use stuff on my boots that takes care of my boots really well and it softens my hands so genuinely I have soft hands because <laughs> of chemicals I deal with and so I literally shake my neighbor's hands at the co-op and they like look at me and I'm like I swear I farm I'm sorry <laughs> I swear <laughs> I actually take care of my land yeah. uh, your I, hands I, say I otherwise I didn't go tits up this year I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I love it um, Secretly thought up for you, hallowing ground initially, whether it's your home or in the middle of the woods or wherever you're at at work, whatever you're doing, what are your best practices in initially hallowing, right? So not just maintain, not maintaining, but setting it up. What does that look like to you? So, go ahead. Here's. All right, y'all ready for the chaos element? Oh boy. My job with this, um, with the whole, within the school, I do a lot of the magic studies and stuff like that. If I'm going to be there for 15 minutes, like Rain Raven was talking about, if it's a 15 minute thing, I don't hollow anything. I won't. 
it is not my place to take and set aside that area. To me, nope. it doesn't make sense. The most hallow you do is hello, and that's it. Now, I will say thank you for letting me use this space. I thank you for all of that. But I won't hallow anything. If it's any le- I would say if it's any less than an hour, I won't do it. Because I am an intruder in their property. I am an intruder in their world. I'm leaving a gift. And the common phrase that you'll hear a lot of Gothar say, or at least that I have heard a lot of Gothar say, is from the gods to the earth to us, from us to the earth to the gods. I can honestly say I don't know where that came from, but it resonated with me, so I use it. In the process of that, it is given to the landlord. When it says from us to the earth, we are giving it back to the landlord. When it goes in the opposite direction, gods to the earth, it's coming from the gods to the earth and then back to us. It is this revolving cycle. So they're always included in every offering I do, regardless of how hallowed that space is. So when it comes down to it, I don't hallow a lot. I would rather see the genuine repercussion or reward from doing so in certain spaces. Now, if it is going to be for some time, say it's a midsummer or a Yule celebration, or there for days, yes, I will set aside that space. I have moved away from the hammer hallowing that we've heard mentioned, mentioned, sorry, and instead moved to more towards a runic hallowing, if you um. I still use my hammer in the process of this, but it is not a hammer howling. I'm not drawing the sign of the hammer. I'm not doing it. I will use runic. And this is purely because that's the emblem that I have, and that's who I can reach out to. Easiest here on Midgard. In my very humble opinion, that's the easiest reach out for protection that I have. If it was Gungnir, cool. If it's a different rune, cool. But oftentimes, when I do howling, I will draw runic symbols instead of the hammer in the four cardinal direction. And those runic symbols are entirely dependent on the purpose of the ritual. For Midsummer, it's a lot of Soelu or Kenaz or the summer months of warmth and heat and light and growth. I use Bricano, I use different runes for stuff like that. During the winter, it's similar but slightly different. More of an Anzus or Algis or those kind of runes that I've used. Do this at your own discretion. Study your runes. Know your runes. Do not jump down this rabbit hole if you're not prepared to do so. Caveat to that. Fucking go for it, bud. Fuck around and find out. Have a blast. Now. That's the wolf in you talking right there. It absolutely is. That's why I have the name I have. But there's, so that's my normal thing is I moved away from the hammer hallowing just because I felt it. No, I just moved away from it. I don't think I had a reason. I think I just shifted mindsets somewhere along the lines and it just changed. That's just my personal thing. Now, would you, if you feel the, inkling to do a hammer hollowing would you do it or no due to yeah. okay 
if I'm drawn to it, if that's something where it's like, okay, this is simpler, this is something, and I don't mean simpler as in, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's more along the lines of, hey, I feel like I should do a hammer instead of a a runic. Absolutely. If that's something, I've done that in other people's, where runic magic isn't necessarily necessary. Um, I've done hammer howlings in other people's homes. I've done rituals for them or protection rituals or stuff like that. I've done hammer howling. However, that seems to be getting more rare in my recent practice. It's been mostly runes for a while. But, yeah. That's my basic, but I'm not basic in those aspects. I'm kind of psychotic, according to most people. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, mine, the first time I ever did anything ever on my own, in my own space to really give myself, in my opinion, to give myself the best shot at seeing if I could connect with the gods, not A, or whichever one, I'm not trying to seek one out in particular, um, a long, long time ago, it was in a subterranean apartment, meaning it was underground. Um, and I was reading from any online or book source I could find because I didn't know what I was doing, right? So I had set up, I, I learned all these things on howling, on the hammer rights is what it was called a lot of times, things like that, right? So I only did the front or the living room where I set everything up and I set up a bowl of fruit, fresh fruit that I got from the farmer's market that morning. Um, I said a few other things, had some wine, had some meat in a real horn that I got from the property, like my farm, as well as a drinking horn and a goblet for myself, right? So this is my initial base, and I have a picture of it. It's like, it looks like something like a four-year-old drew. Um, but I decided, okay, I'm going to try to do a little bit of everything, but obviously this howling right for this hammer has nothing to do with it. So initially, I set up candles in the cardinal directions, okay? And what I did from there is I lit the, a flame in the middle, and I in, went through a few different phrases, I would say, of essentially Thor, Hallow, and Stead, these halls protect all those unwanted or unwelcome. And so I'd walk, and I went very, very slowly, and I swear it took like 10 minutes to walk a very small living room in a one-bedroom apartment at the time. And I, when I hit each cardinal direction, I would stop. I would use that flame to light the candle, reinstate it, slowly walk, and continually chant that same thing until every single one was lit. I started where I was. I walked forward. I then set the candle that I started with in the center next to the fruit, and I went from there. Now, whether it was meditations, bloats, uh, mine was Freyfaxy, I believe. Um, so that was a little bit different for me. Um, my very first Halloween that I did in a underground apartment was that. And I swear it was, I mean, obviously it was life changing because here I am, but it was very powerful in the most simplistic sense that I had like fucking Etsy candles or something. It wasn't Etsy candles because that wasn't a thing that, but there were candles in the directions, but I was using the grounds. I wasn't smudging. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that. I lit this flame that I'm holding. I basically embodied myself as much as possible, tried to embody Thor or another god, which was Thor. It was just for me, it was Thor at the time because I didn't know any better. And I used that as basically guiding Thor 
through the property of where I want him to protect. Not just say, hey, protect my place, because that's like, oh, but the bathroom's over there. No, like it was a very small enclosure. I made sure it was very specific. I hit every candle. I didn't go outside of it. Nothing changed in the perimeters. If I couldn't do it, I was climbing over couches like super awkwardly, but the flame held perfectly still. And I was just like, nope, nope, okay, cool. Yep, there you go. Because it was a very small apartment. Um, and that was the first time I did it. There's no wrong way to do it if you dedicate yourself to it. Because I hit that and I was like, damn. Sometimes I have Halloween's that take place that I see other Gothar do in a grand scale with over 50 plus, 100 plus people. And it doesn't feel the same as what resonated with me in a subterranean apartment one day. Um, now, what my common thing now is, depending on where I am, um, I'll do a similar aspect to it, um, but not nearly what I do on my own grounds. Um, as Super Ufano mentioned before, my cabin, I've set aside for many, many years um, to keep up on that, right? So I take a little bit of both sides. With Super Ufano's point, I have bind rooms that I have carved onto the property in various locations, blooded, all that stuff. So I revisit, I redo that. I do not use a hammer for that. I believe myself to activate the runes to invoke the gods that I believe will keep me the safest, to keep a watch over me, to have the best benefits as well as the house and landmines. Because it's a cabin property, there's a structure. I ask for house and land, not just land. Um, outside of that, if I'm in a more common ground, it's not my own, I will use a Mjolnir or a Hammerite, and I will hit the cardinal directions as closely as possible to do these things. Um, but again, literally, I, I, I see all walks of life do it all different ways. But in my opinion, the way I've done it originally was kind of the most pure and innocent, and it somehow resonated really strongly. It could have been because of my first time, could have been because it was an effective move. Um, but really, like, not just going, okay, I did north, now I'm going to go south, now I'm going to go east, now I'm going to go west. I slowly walked that whole perimeter, as much as you want protected, and I slowly basically chanted and encanted whatever I could to invoke the help, anything else, but the assistance or help of Thor if he was willing to do so. Now, that at the time, I didn't realize what my true intentions were on separating spaces. I was like, I'm not separating the space from Midgard. I just want Thor to kind of focus up right here. I'll do my best to keep people out. If you keep your, if you need your best to keep people out, we'll have a nice place to chill. Uh, so that was kind of my, between the extreme and the non-extreme. I do the bind rooms, I do the bloods, um, but I also find somehow a power in simplicity, in walking, saying it, thanking, and just being there and walking the grounds. It's, it's said back in the day with our ancestors, you know, a man's property was based on however far he can walk in a day, essentially. And to me, that's the same as what I'm hallowing. However much I'm willing to hallow is that however much I'm going to slowly walk and make sure I do it right. It could be a 10-foot space. It could be a fire pit. That's fine. That can be quick, sweet. That can be grand, whatever else. But if I'm doing the whole property, it's going to take me a solid hour to walk it. Because I walk it to familiarize myself with the trees, with the bushes, with the paths, with everything. So that if something happens, I know the grounds I'm hallowing. And I know how to react accordingly. So from the simplistic, I lit a candle, to I walked 10 miles and did all that crap. I've never done that in my life. But... That's kind of my get-to with that on how I hollow. Now, I've used Mjolnir's around my neck. 
Um, I've used effigies or carvings that uh, some heathens actually carved for me in their Mjolnir states. Um, I mean, I've seen people use literal hammer hammers, like nail hammers, and basically just like reinforce it to make it more Mjolnir shaped, but to have the same weight and uh, aspects of it. It's a hammer, it's a blacksmith tool, all sorts of things like that. So that's how I simplistically and more commonly do it. My simplistic is the candles. I'm more common is my runes on my property. I don't hallow a lot of grounds nowadays, so that's kind of my take. So I want to preface something that White Wolf has brought up a couple of times now. When we say blooded, that means a few fucking things. Um, that's one option. Um, but it is a touchy subject for a lot of people. Um, it is a very powerful magic, being your life essence being used 100%. However, it is often not necessary for the cause. Now, if you're going to be crazy and do crazy shit, do your thing. No, don't do it. I'm going to tell you right now, don't do it. Urge you to use caution. You'll hear me say that a lot. Whenever it comes to magic, I am very cautious, especially with people that are just beginning down that path and trying to learn things. Be careful. Because you're literally in a fuck around and find out realm in a lot of cases there. And if you fuck it up, you're going to find out. There's not another option. Yes. You should strive to learn properly, not extremely. Yes. Don't do what I do, is essentially what I'm saying. Because I do that a lot. Don't do that. It hurts. It destroys you mentally. It destroys you emotionally. It will fuck up relationships. It, it's bad. Don't do that. But when we say blooded, oftentimes, if you've seen um, or know anybody that has type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes and finger pokers, that's the best way that I've found to do it under certain circumstances. Now, as Rain Raven jokingly put his hand up and that whole thing, sure. For audio listeners, I, I cut my hand with my other hand. Yeah. That's what yeah, I was gesturing. Uh, um, that's an option. Normally not necessary, especially in today's world. But there is the option of blooding. But use caution. It is a very potent magic and a gift given. A gift given is a gift received and all that nonsense. It's reciprocity of gifts. Gift given is given back an equal. Be careful. Right. And so for me, a lot of times, bloat, blot, or bloat, however you want to say it, means blood. Right. It means sacrifice. It means these things. That's kind of what it translates to directly. Now, when we say blow nowadays, like, oh, I'm going to do a blow. It's not like you're going to go sacrifice somebody. You might. You shouldn't. But you might. But blow overall means sacrifice or to give. So when I say to blood something, yes, I, you know, it could mean from A to Z. But in my opinion, when I say I'm going to, like, I'm going to blood this, this rune, I'm going to do this and this, a lot of time, blooding is activating. Right, that could be mead, that could be spittle, that could be a hug. Like, it, it's it's how you go about re-energizing whatever you're trying to do. That could be through meditation. That could be you awakening yourself inward through any other sort of 
transmit methods. My first word is thought is edibles. But, <laughs> like, blooding is essentially active. It's sacrificing, it's giving, it's, it's receiving, it's at this point, giving and receiving, it's active. So I'm not going to go blood my Xbox. I'm going to turn that sucker on. But in the sense of I'm going to blood or blood this, it's an activation process, not a literal blood process. Because even blood means blood. And while our ancestors did use blood sacrifices very commonly, ours nowadays for extreme, extreme, extreme circumstances. That never happens. Um, I myself have only been a part of two that blood, like literal blood was used. Um, and it was, it was some crazy shit. Like, I, yeah, no, don't, it's not a Dr. Seuss book. It's like something the Brothers Grimm thought. Um, so don't. But the blood to me is to activate, to activate, to, to create, whatever else. So they say blood your root. Now that could be literal. Um, there's a lot of discussions about this, but they Activating your runes through a certain methodology, not just one. And another little piece of that, um, where we brought up the ancestors using blood rituals and that kind of thing, where the traditional word blood came from, or blooded, or those kind of things. Back then, they didn't have fucking Walmart, or HEB, or grocery source. If crops failed, they died. There wasn't, it, it, the risk was enough that that was messed. I will never discount blood magic. It is a very potent tool, but it also comes at a cost. Um, and in today's world, we just don't have shit. Unless you're life or death, you don't really have a good reason for it. You really don't. I'm sorry. It's weird. I would, uh, yeah. Um, which brings up a whole other debate topic of a lot of different, but that was the reason for it, was they were life and death. That is why they offered animals, they offered people, the nine of nine rituals and all of those. It was life or death. It was either crops succeed or we die. So... So... Way on tangent, still on subject. We're all over the place with this. Um, let's talk food and or things we give for midsummer. Okay. Right? Um, I can start if Raven doesn't have an example or can't think of it right now. Um, I, do you want me to go? Raven? Okay, cool. So we'll talk givings, offerings, bloodings, whatever you want to call it to kick it off, right? So this isn't the Halloween. This is the midsummer part. Now, hypothetically, you've taken any of these a billion awful ideas to hallow the grounds we've given you, and now you're sitting there in a hallowed ground, bunch of heathens staring at you in the face, saying, "Kate, now what?" And you're like, "This is as far as I got." Um, so, a way to sacrifice, to give, to pay homage to, and to respect, all at the same time, traditionally for me, is a barbecue. Right? I'm cooking steak, I'm cooking chicken, I'm cooking hamburgers. I don't care. I will slave away at that grill because it makes me happier than a pig and shit. Right? I love it. It's great. Um, but that's my example or my, my aspect of saying, okay, how do we maintain... Now, we're not maintaining the hallowing. Okay? So when we hallow the grounds, we're now inside these grounds. 
what are we doing to sacrifice, give, pay homage to, whatever else. During these games, we're hailing the gods and all stuff. We're not just talking shit and drinking. There are specific methods. We're still doing little sumbles. We're still doing meditation practices. We're doing all these things inside of these grounds. Um, but we're still having this very interactive lifestyle and, and spiritual essence inside the hallowed grounds. So for me, a very big part of it, a very big part of it, is it, it's more than games, and I, I am the fucking, I'm obsessed with games. I'm obsessed with games. Um, but to me, more important than having games is having a fed, I'm going to say it, and I don't want to say it, a fed congregation um, of a fed amount of people that are there, right? If I have guests there, they better know Anything on my property is available to them if they need it. So I'm feeding them. I make sure they have drinks, whether it's water, alcohol. I don't care. I'm introducing them to my family or whoever it is. I'm giving them a guided tour of the property. I want them to feel as at home as possible and as peaceful as possible so they don't feel in any way restricted or stuck. So during and after the Halloween, during the time of that happening, during midsummer, I never stop to make sure my guests aren't fat as pigs and happy as fuck like if someone's not happy i will fix it whether that's some jungle juice shit we mix in a got and we're doing flip cup over or if it's we're just having a beat we're having a conversation and i'm pulling root or they're hungry and i feed them chicken or a fruit roll up um kids come up all the time we get kids all the time in my midsummer it's there's just it's like chuck e cheese for heathen um it, i just want to scream but we make sure there's like for my, for example, a very specific example, an exact example is my cabin has a TV with a VHS player. Okay, there's no cell phone service. We have an eight-track player, an ATV, a single TV, not an ATV, and a VHS. I have Road to El Dorado. I have God, there's like four videos that I have there, and that's it. And they're VHS cassettes, right? But I make sure I have some kids stuff. I have like Open Season. Um, I have stuff like Lord of the Rings or whatever else, but I make sure there's stuff for kids to be entertained with. I'm not there just to appease the heathens that are willing to listen and hail the gods and do these things. I'm there to make sure everyone has a comfortable environment and they're being maintained as individuals and families, not just as heathens. So there's always candy or fruit roll-ups or rolls or whatever the parents want them to have. Um, there's always access to the inside. I'm never like, don't go in the cabin. That's my place. Like, screw that noise. Like, your kid's getting wild now. We've got beds upstairs. We've got a TV that I can at least put a cartoon on. Like, it's just as important to maintain the individual aspects of hunger, uh, necessities, thirst, whatever else, or even family dynamic, as it is to maintain the grounds of spiritual essence. Because you can have the most hallowed ground ever, but when you got a kid screaming his head off and two kids starting to punch each other, there's no frith there. So, uh, way off subject. But, <laughs> this is more of a, a maintaining thing than anything else. Um, the way I sacrifice on the daily during midsummer is making sure my guests are taken care of, well-fed, not thirsty, and their families are at least at a certain degree of peace. Now, I can't make everyone happy. That's not, I'm not, I'm not tequila. I can't do that. But, that's kind of the getaway for me is just making sure that they're they're set enough that they can all somewhat enjoy themselves. That's my that's my maintenance side of, it, of the daily maintenance. If that makes sense. It does. Um Raven, did you want to go before I did? 
be honest, I thought it was it was completely different. Like, what would you offer to the land whites, the gods? And I'll just answer that question. Uh, so for land whites, I would offer more fruits and vegetables. I don't know why, but I see them more vegetarian based. Granted, you know, animals die and their land and everything they probably indulge i don't know why but i see fruits and vegetables more lighty foods uh for that purpose for the gods more along the lines of meat cheese uh bread like more comfort food that's how i see yeah, it charcuterie tray you gotta go whole thing like, <laughs> yeah. i like it that's like next netflix and chill vibe i like that yeah so th- <laughs> wait a second hold um, on Netflix and chill with the gods? I don't think you use that term correctly, old man. <laughs> what is it, Ragnarok and die? What do you want? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you asked your question, so that's what I'm going to answer it with. Okay. Solid. Um, so traditionally, yeah. hold on, just to not put you more on the spot, Severe, but I'm going to. Sigvita Uthbar, this year you are hosting Midsummers on your property in your house. How do you plan to maintain that hallowed grounds and to as much as you can, we're not gods, the frith within those realms? That, that circle. Okay. So, one, let me answer your original question, then I'll answer that one. Um, originally, traditionally, it was livestock. Even human sacrifices were made during the Midsummer celebrations. That was a thing. Get over it. Cool. Um, this year, to Rain Raven's point, there's, I think we're here for five days for Midsummer, something like that. Um, and the food that we eat will also be offered. So, whether it's good old fashioned American cheeseburgers or a whole roasted chicken or whatever we're eating. That's what the offering will be. Now, to your question, Y Wolf, of how I plan to do so. You brought up kids. I have an air conditioned house. I can keep kids happy. I have couches. Yeah, I know. No, we and I both feel on this one. You screw you. I got mine coming in, uh, what is it, the 19th? So, like, as soon as we get to get ready for midsummer i have i'm having ac installed in my house so i got a cool house when i come back home i basically have an r2d2 unit sitting over that that's why i'm probably really loud because i have like three devices they're literally like the size of r2d2 blowing out cold <laughs> air and like barely so. yeah no i'm I super excited three. um so we have that option because here in utah it's fucking hot during summers. it's been like 80 degrees for like the last two weeks. Super fun. And it's only going to get hotter for the next couple. So we have an air conditioned house. We have filtered water and through a fridge and through pipes through that. So I know my guests are taken care of, at least on their basic needs. We'll be making such throughout the day. Um, we have a decent sized TV for children. And we actually have set aside with the client that we're working with for this um we have set aside a specific time where children will be put in front of a tv to watch a movie chill out relax take naps we have different rooms for little little babies to take naps we've made that accommodation 
little gummy melatonin. It's like, oh, it's a Flintstone thing. Melatonin, go to sleep. You're not joking. I, that's a daily. Yeah, no, that that's legit. I have those too. Don't be afraid to drug your kids. Just kidding. Don't drug your kids. Don't take that wrong. Uh, <laughs> chloroform's great. Um, anyways. Uh, <laughs> um, don't listen to anything I say when shit like that. Um, for adults, there will be beverages provided. There will be food provided. They also have access to the house the whole time. Um, this will be the first time that I have set aside the property for pagan practice for a larger community. For my household, I've done it. Absolutely, that was like number one, first thing we did when we moved in. But for a larger community to be set aside for midsummer for these practices, this will be the first time I do it. Um, I'm still working on how exactly I'm doing that in the different directions and how I want that done. Because I want them at least semi-permanently there. Um, so yeah, that's a thing. But in reality, my goal this midsummer is to, one, keep people comfortable. Because over the last couple of midsummers, I don't know if you guys can hear it, I sound like I'm fucking sick, but that's actually just seasonal allergies that are kicking my ass. Um, so I want people to be comfortable, whatever that means, whether it's staying inside for a minute in air conditioning or being outside all day and having a blast, cool, whatever that is. The second part is I want to create an environment where they can learn. And I want that environment set aside so that the Aesir and the Vanir, the gods in general, come and witness and see, as well as the land whites and the house white of my home, to be there as well to help teach and educate and just be there for the support that certain members of our community, I'm sure, need that I'm either not aware of or just haven't seen. But that's my goal. Those are my three goals. So. Inviting the land whites, the gods, into the home, the house white, all of those. Ensuring that children are comfortable and taken care of, and ensuring that I create an environment where people are able to learn. Those are my three biggest things. Good. Very cool. Um, the right. most, a lot of the questions I'm asking is very deliberate for... Those that are at home listening or whatever else, maybe haven't done these before. It may not be midsummer for them. They may be listening to this in the middle of February. Who knows? Um, but I'm trying to get very simple and yet step-by-step -step questions so that they can build their own effort, their own Halloween, their own two-day ritual, even if it's just them. Like I'm trying to get a, a basis on a consensus of how we, they can go back to it. That makes sense. Yeah. So as we're nearing the end, like the last... A uh, couple minutes. I would like each of us to name uh, one or two gods. We don't have to tell them why, but w one or two gods that we would worship during Midsummer, and the listeners can figure out why we do it to the specific gods. I will start, and my biggest one is Freyr. Then Frigg, then Freya, 
and Nord. You said two, motherfucker. Huh? You said two. All right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> you said two? I think it's like three. I said four, actually. <laughs> like I said, all right, we're going to do two, and then I just named four. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm just breaking Maybe my own rules. What comfortable doing, I suppose. Yeah. But Freya is a big one. And then Freya is another big one. There. Okay. Go ahead, Wolf. I'll go last. For Midsummer specifically, is that what we're kind of getting at right now? Yes. Yeah. Midsummer specifically, Heimdall, always my OG. Um, because he can overwatch me whether I'm going to the gap, multiple time, mid guard, or I'm just dead. Um, and then uh, Suna. Not even really with Soul. Nope, other way around. Soul. I do this all the time. Soul. Um, being the sun, why it's what, the whole reason we're there is to celebrate the longest day of the year. Um, to celebrate Soul's passing. And honestly, during Midsummer, I do. Uh, Mani, um, right? I, I, tr I try and do it the night before. I'll do it before sunrise. Um, I will do that as well. I will do the brother aspect for the sister or the god or for the goddess. Um, and thanking him and his rotation, protection, his basically saying, hey man, good job, clock out, we've got this. Um, this year alone, I was kind of fiddling around over here, which goes bright and dark, whatever else. Um, the day we're celebrating, it has 15 hours and two minutes of sunlight that day. The sun rises at 5.55. This is the location of your home. 5.55 a.m. at sunrise until 8.57 p.m. is sunset, roughly, might be a little bit later. It's 15 hours and two minutes of sun. So I celebrate the goddess of the sun that drives the chariot, all that fun um, for that sense. So that's kind of that's kind of my back with it. And then the moon, I think, should be equally a part of the celebration at the beginning and the end, basically calling it together and dismissing the rest of the, or the, the end of the day. So those are my big ones. Um, Heimdall is kind of my go-to because his observation of all the realms. It doesn't matter where I, where I set my hallowing, he is always able to see it. So that's why I do that. Okay. So you took two of mine. Um, I will say Suna is definitely one that I reach out to during this time. Um, the other one that I normally reach out to is Monty, but you covered that one. So I'll go with the other two that I actually look to during this time that are very off-topic for a lot of people, but I like to see the yin and yang, the polar opposite things. So I have actually made offerings to two different people, two different of the gods that most people don't even think about during the summertime, which is Uller and Scotty. In their resting period, their hibernation, if you will, or their preparing phase of to combat the winter. I've done it for a few times. I don't know that White Wolf has ever noticed it, but I have made offerings to Uller during midsummer for the last three years. I know it does make sense to a lot of people. I know Uller, and Uller does make sense to me. Scotty is a little bit of a sketchier side of mine. That's fine. I don't really care. Um, 
So, Uller, to me, he is the god of winter and the god of the hunt. He is oftentimes neglected during this time of year. However, in previous podcasts that we've done, I've said that Uller was one that I've reached out to personally and one of the halls that I would rather go to at the end of time. And when I pass inevitably from this world, I would want to go hang out with Uller. So, yeah, I reach out to Uller as the groundskeeper of the forest, as the god that looks out for hunt. So yeah, those are two that I've made offerings to in the past during Midsummer that I feel are often forgotten. Um, there's others as well, as I'm sure we all could go on for days as to who, and eventually we'd cover all of them. Which is absolutely, that's, that's the struggle of being a Gothi in this kind of aspect is we will relate all the gods to a specific event, whether it's so that they're not neglected or because we choose to honor them at this time or whatever it is, we would eventually choose all of them. But yeah, I've done a little Scotty for the past two midsummers, but Mani and Suna are the two that I've reached out to the most during the midsummer. Thanks. Love it. Um, yeah, again, for those not fully aware, um, for Northern Hemisphere, where we're located, uh, Midsummer is in the next two weeks, or it is actually in two weeks. Traditionally, the 20th and the 21st are the longest days of the year, um, but celebrations take place anywhere, including and in between all those times. Uh, now, this year, it's like on a, it's like on a freaking Tuesday or something. It's January 21st is a Wednesday. Um, ironically, Odin's Day, but we aren't talking about that. Um, so don't feel like you're not doing your part by doing it on a weekend or a day off that you can sacrifice Thursday, Friday, who cares? Uh, Midsummer is just simply a time to bask and chill. Like, if you can literally do nothing else except for have the day to kick your feet up and do nothing if that's what it takes, that is a Midsummer celebration. So don't feel pressured into doing these grand ideas. Um, the idea that I wanted to get to all these conversations is if you decide to host two friends, five friends, 100 people, or just your significant other, these are the next couple weeks as well. What the fuck is going on? What? No. The, the recording just stopped during uh, White Wolf's like, final tangent. Ah. So that will be messed around with. I wonder, I wonder which god I pissed off. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but in conclusion... Appreciate you all staying with us, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Don't know the topic yet, but we'll get there. Maybe we'll do best or worst midsummers. Oh boy! Don't do that. That was that was terrible. Edit that out. <laughs> That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.